Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire as your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late-night conversations by real-life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Shivaya Gurave Sachidananda Murtahe Nishprapanjaya Shantaya Niralambaya Tejase Om Trayambakam Yajamahe Sukandim Pushtivardhanam Urvaru Kamiva Pandanam Mrityor Mukshya Mamritat Om Trayambakam Yajamahe Sukandim Pushtivardhanam Urvaru Kamiva Pandanam Rityor Mukshya Mamritat Om Trayambakam Yajamahe Sukandim Pushtivardhanam Urvaru Kamiva Vandanan Mrityor Mukshya Mamritatum Shanti 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 Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You are listening to episode number 37. My name is Jim Two Snakes, and I'm your host tonight, along with my good friends and co-hosts, Stan Thodenson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How are you both doing tonight? Doing all right. I'm here. <laughs> Surviving. Surviving, yes. Surviving. <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty well. Not bad. No, no. I'm actually well rested and, and life's going pretty well, actually. Ooh, one of us is well rested. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's we got one third of us. Start. That's right. That I think that's actually above average. So it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Normally all three of us are just kind of zoned out here. Meh. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I was feeling a little under the weather yesterday, but I'm, I'm recovering a little bit myself. So I, I, I put myself to bed early last night. That oh, excellent. <laughs> I know it. Like, I am convinced. You know, everybody talks about the whiskey cure, but uh, I'm, I like that uh, Strega liqueur. That's my favorite one, you know. It's, the, it's got that really spicy, sweet flavor, and it, um, 
I don't know. It's got all those herbs and everything, all the saffron, all this other stuff. So I don't know. A couple sips of that, and I usually feel better the next day. So I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I I have a couple of home remedies that I do, um, but I wasn't able to actually leave the house to go get them. Uh, mine is typically just uh, like raw ginger root with hot water, lemon, and just a little tiny dash of whatever liquor I happen to have laying around. Sometimes it's mead, sometimes it's wine, sometimes it's actually whiskey, which is what it's supposed to be. But <laughs> my grandma always said, whatever liquor you got, it's fine. It's just meant to be an anesthetic or um, like antibacterial type thing. So she's like, it's fine, just put it in there. Like, okay, that's fine. Hey, you know, whatever works, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm the home remedy we used to use when I was sick was uh, it's either Verner's or it's hot tea with honey. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the good old Verner's. Michigan cure. Yeah, welcome to Michigan, right? Yeah. <laughs> Got to have some va- hot Verner's and some, some of that there Vicks VapoRub on your chest. Those will, those will <laughs> fix pretty much anything, I think. Yep. We don't even... We don't even need anything else. You know, I, I was telling you guys on Discord last night, I, it was driving me crazy because I actually had to quit. I was on the Reddit spiritual community. Oh, And I actually God. had to quit. I just, I rage quit a Reddit community. because <laughs> I was like, they were talking about the, the coronavirus, mm-hmm. right? And oh, course, no. If you get sick, it's because you thought about the illness too much. You have manifested it. And I'm just like, you know, you jerks, you probably, most of you are probably like in your early 20s still. You're going to go talking about illness. I guarantee all of you are going to get old and get sick. And I don't freaking need this victim blaming. Well, you can't deny that you attract these energies into your life. And I'm like, you idiots are starting to see, yeah, that's the spiritualist and you were all like occultists and stuff. You're starting to sound like Gwyneth Paltrow and fucking Oprah. I'm out of here. I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> I'm like, go stick a jade egg somewhere and get oh. the hell on. <laughs> you know? like, not, not having it. Not having it. I'm tired of all the victim blaming, especially there are so <laughs> many people with chronic illness and there's not a damn person that's got arthritis that sat around thinking, you know, could really use some of that arthritis. <laughs> yeah, I didn't no, exactly uh, no, sit there and say, works. I really want diabetes. I really want it. Give it to me. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, well, you, you know, you didn't I get really... diabetes because your grandfather er, had it genetically. No, you got it because you thought about your grandfather's diabetes too much. Obviously, that's <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wanted my back pain just so that I could prove to my dad that I'm just as hard of a worker as he is because he has back pain too. <laughs> it's like, that's how that works, right? <sighs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> All right, well, then I get the rage out of my system here. <laughs> Um, I want to take a second and thank our new patrons. Uh, our Patreon launch went really well, and I think I named most of them last time, the last show, but I do want to call them out to again. Uh, AKA or Aka Nico 13, that's the Discord name, is a new Tinder. We've got Kathleen and Nick at the Spark level, Victoria at the Kindling level, and Marco way up at the Blaze level. And also, we have a new elemental level sponsor, and it's our Darren Summit, 
who you can find on Instagram and on Facebook with our Darren's Auguries. And I will post links in the show notes instead of spelling it out because spelling it out never would work for me anyway. So I'm just going to type it out for you guys in the show notes. And I will link to it on our Around Grandfather Fire Facebook page. And I also tweet it out and I'll put it on our Discord. But our Darren's Auguries, uh, you can get... Uh, tarot card readings, intuitive readings, tassiomancy. I was thinking about this earlier, right? Because I was going to say, I'm thinking about in my head how I'm going to talk about this spot. And I thought, tassiomancy, that's tea leaf readings for all you heathens. And then I thought, well, duh, half of our listeners are heathens. So I guess that's not a very effective thing to say. But then I thought, actually, it is a promotion. It really is tea leaf readings for heathens. So I don't know. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm just a walking bad pun or what at this point in time. But I mean, yeah, don't ask my kids. You are a dad, so well, you get true. that whole dad pass. That's mm-hmm. true. And, and you've taken on the moniker of spiritual dad. So. Spiritual dad. Right. So these are all, all if, I can, if I can do a spiritual dad joke, it's all the better. So, yes, tassiomancy for you heathens. Ah. <laughs> Our Darren's auguries. And, and he is actually going to be on with us here in a few weeks as a show guest where we can find out more about what he does. And thank you, everybody. Thank you to all our new Patreons. We really, uh, Patreon patrons, we really appreciate that. So with that, I want to make sure that we get to our guest tonight. It's a returning guest and someone who has just given, given us a very beautiful and lovely opening prayer. Welcome back to the show, Beth Griggs from Coldwater Haven. How are you tonight? Thanks for having me back. I'm doing great. Happy oh, to- glad to have you back. Very excited for it. So tell us more about this opening prayer that you that you are so generous to to sing out for us. Oh, so it's a it's a beautiful Sanskrit prayer that is traditional at the beginning of a yoga practice in the integral yoga tradition, which is my um, my main form of yoga tradition and. Um, there are two kinds of sections to it. The beginning part, that's the opening. And then that lays the groundwork for the second section that repeats three times. Um, the, the first part basically says, I open my heart to the power of grace that lives in us as goodness, is never absent and radiates peace and lights the way to transformation. So it just sets that tone. And then the second part is very traditional um, for many different reasons. It's a chance that we'll chant sometimes when a person has passed or if we hear that someone is in the hospital or when we hear that someone is working with something that's very challenging in the moment, um, just to honor that the physical body is only one of the many bodies we have and that um, there's something wonderful about honoring all of what we are. So it talks about um, helping us to cease from bondage of thinking we're only in this body. Um, It's kind of beautiful. It talks about separating us like a cucumber from the creeper, (laughs) from that attachment to the body. 
May I be liberated from the experience of death and that things might be perishable and know that I am not separated from the perception of immortality. Wow. So we chant that three times traditionally. So it's quite beautiful and just um, we'll chant it on behalf. Like if I hear someone is ailing, um, I'll say I'm lighting candles for people. And I also do this chant three times. So it's nice to let people know what it is. I do a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. That is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So are Absolutely. you, are you doing a little bit more or do you do a lot of death walking in your practice or helping people with the end of life process? Because I know Sarah has just done a bunch of writing about it. So I'm kind of curious. <laughs> we seem to be on that topic lately. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't seem to like, like most of us, I can't seem to quite get away from it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like it does show up. And a lot of times um, in my work, Um, I work as a yoga therapist and as an Ayurvedic spiritual counselor, as well as Ayurvedic medicine practitioner. And a lot of the people that come to me are dealing with cancer or other kinds of serious illnesses that Mm -hmm. um, either are very chronic and make the experience of being in the body very challenging, or I work with people as they're preparing for the end of their life um, quite often. And um, those transitions, and even when I work with people who are having other transitions in life, maybe they're changing their career or they're new empty nesters or newly retired, which is a huge one. I actually do a lot of work with that. Um, I'm trying to understand now what am I? Now what am I? I'm moving into that space of how do I how do I have a relationship? And I think it does often go through the veil, right? Mm-hmm. And into that honoring of the fact that the veil is, I don't know, for me it's it's fairly thin. Um, and I think a lot of people are feeling that more and more in this culture. Um, and so honoring those relationships is definitely a part of my work and a part of how I support people. Mm-hmm. So you actually, and I, I think we can probably consider what you went through um, a little over a year ago now, almost a form of death walking. Um, and I won't go, I won't talk too much about exactly what happened, but I'm curious to hear what you did as a spiritual practitioner to get yourself through that death walk to through that massive transformation that you had to go through. I mean, you, you, you had support, but a lot of it, you did it yourself. So would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, So to kind of help people follow a little bit about uh, it's been about a year and a half now. Um, and it really started about two years ago of a, a process where um, my life basically um, fell apart. I mean, in a really profound and public way. Um, and um, it resulted in um, no longer having a spouse and no longer having a house and having to move. And I mean, probably everything um, that people 
fear, um, besides death itself, is what walked up and bit me. And um, it and wasn't the first time I had... The thing you're missing there is having to give a speech on stage. <laughs> what? <laughs> the only thing you were missing out of that list, I think, is having to make a speech on stage. If you could have oh, yeah. somehow worked that in there, it probably would have been a picture. Well, I think through the whole process, you were kind of on stage. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was quite on stage. I mean, the whole situation actually ended up in the newspapers all over the state and front wow. page news and the whole community knew uh, where I was living at the time. Um, everybody knew. I mean, it's still, some of that's still ongoing. Um, but I have, I have had other situations, circumstances where I felt the universe, the great all, great spirit coming into my life saying, actually, you don't belong here anymore. And I'm going to pick you up and move you over here now. And um, so this was another of those. What's been beautiful is that they've actually gotten more gentle. <laughs> so if that gives you an idea, this one was the most gentle one. Um, wow. And, um, and it, I mean, it, 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 was, it was pretty intense. Um, and so, yes, having my practices of yoga, the practice of meditation, the fact that I have um, been there with other people while they were walking through um, the process of transition so much, seeing what other people have done and, and how it's gone is certainly helpful. But I think, you know, it was interesting. I was studying with Clarissa Pinkel Estes. Do you guys know who she is? No. She wrote, oh, uh, yes. Oh, yes. Women Who Run With the Wolves. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, she's one of my teachers. I went and studied with her in person. And um, she, she talks in one of her um, audio books. She talks about parteras. Parteras are uh, like um, midwives. Mm. And it was like, I've had multiple people come to me and say, oh, you're like, you're like a midwife. I had one client tell me I was a midwife for death. I had a client tell me I was a midwife, um, a, a tour guide of hell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I feel like if you're going to be a tour guide in these realms, you probably need to know them. And yeah, yeah that, that tends to be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it, it, in the one hand, it's not like this happening was the first time this happened. I already, I know the realm. I know who's there. Mm -hmm. I know a little bit of my way around. I won't say I know all the way around because who would be so bold? Um, we, don't, we don't beg for that to be shown to us, right? So I'm not going well, to Probably some people on your spiritual subreddit would say that they know all, but anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> There's areas of my house I don't like to go in. You're not going to go into all the areas of hell. I think that's probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't, <laughs> like you know. that, that creepy area under the crawl space under the kitchen. I don't like that. Why do I want to go? <laughs> right. And so to be clear, um, I'm, I'm not sure anybody goes because they want to. <laughs> right. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Very fair. 
I think most of us go kicking and screaming, and I would include myself in that. Um, and yet, there's something that happens that um, I have also had incredible moments of grace. Um, and that's the term I use because I don't know others. If you have other words for it in your tradition, I'm collecting them. Because <laughs> I love to know like the words for this. But that, um, I think in the... Um, in yoga, in, in uh, the Hebrew tradition, in different traditions, they talk about like almost like the breath of the divine coming. Mm. It shows up and it sweeps you up and it knows the flow and it pulls you into that flow and you get to move around with it and it lets you where you are supposed to go. And sometimes it can look quite magical and unexpected. Um, but it's like, even with all that was happening, um, the police and, and everything being involved and, um, you know, everything that was happening around me and I felt completely held. Mm. Um, and not just by the people, but definitely by the people around me, my good friends, mm -hmm. everybody kind of knew it was amazing. Cause all my clients kind of got it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> It was so amazing. Like Grace showed up in such a way that um, actually when everything actually hit the fan, uh, I had already planned a week and a half vacation. Oh. Nice. And so literally the police like showed up and took my former spouse the day before we were supposed to leave. Wow. So I just had like a week and a half to like be with myself and care for myself and like not, not um, be in that process of trying to understand um, the relationship I have with clients. I could really go deeply into self-care and self-tending at that point and go through the process. So I was able to send an email out to everybody at the end of having some time and say, yes, this is what happened. All of you know what I'm doing right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All of you know the drill. And so yeah, that that um that process has certainly been helpful. So I guess I have an additional question to my original one. What about your everyday practice do you do would you say helped support you during that? process like what are the things that you do every single day that are the things that carried over into that everyday transitional period okay yeah you know what I'm saying yeah like practical tidbits for somebody to be like okay I've got it or I don't yeah, have it. yeah like yeah tools. right because like everybody needs an emergency kit right yes okay so so welcome to your I guess it won't always necessarily be evening, but welcome to your podcast of emergency kit building. Yes. <laughs> and you guys feel free to chime in too. This is awesome. because no, I like this topic. This is a great <laughs> yes. Topic. Yeah. Because having an emergency kit that mm -hmm. like matters to you is the big thing. So I'm assuming that people that are listening to this show are actually working with a bunch of different traditions. Am I right? Yeah. I, I would say that's a reasonable yeah. Thought process. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a pretty diverse group of people that follow this podcast. Yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. So like, I'll talk a little bit about mine and what I personally use, but I think maybe tell me if you agree, like, I think it might be helpful to actually 
um, talk about like the like the meaning, like the translation, so that you could be listening and kind of go, okay, do I have that? Yeah, that yeah. sounds great. That sounds yeah. good. Okay. Rock. So in my emergency kit, I see my yoga practice as like my garden, right? Mm -hmm. So my yoga practice consisting of meditation twice a day, very, very consistent, that consistent tapping in to my own connection to the divine such that I'm in a rhythm, like a pattern of going into it and then being here and then going into it and then being here such that it starts to color my day. Like it's always with me. Mm -hmm. and it's reliable and so for some people maybe it's not a meditation practice of course I'm going to be like pro meditation um but and I think that shows up in different traditions in different ways um for some people that gets translated into prayer or some other form of daily connection to the all to the source mm -hmm. um and for me it's twice a day um the second start part of my mornings that way. What is I it? To, I said, for me, I tend to start off my mornings that way. Like I, for me, it's the meditation first thing in the day, which transitions right into prayer. And then for a lot of people with the, the, you know, I, I've done uh, grounding and centering forever and a half. So that's one of the first things I teach people. And, and uh, that's such a useful tool as well. But even the meditation I'm focusing on, on my breathing. And so then throughout the day, all it needs to do is take one or two nice deep breaths and think about that breath. And I can return to that meditative mindset really quickly. And that helps a lot with stress. Yeah, that's huge. The grounding and centering is amazing too. So when you do that, is that also like, like I think of that almost as like, not just feeling support, which I think is what people think a lot, but also thinking about like, where I am, like, yeah, in the cosmos of my tradition, like where I am in space, like that exactly. I'm located. Yep, yep. At least the way I teach it, and I think Caitlin, you you kind of envision it the same way I do, or, or in a similar way. I'm tending to focus on the connection between the divine and the upper world and. Uh, Pachamama, Mother Earth, and the lower world, and I am that little bead that floats right in the center. So, yeah, establishing my place in the cosmos is an important part of that. Yes, that's like World Tree stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna chime in with the, uh, with uh, finding our place in Yggdrasil. Uh, yeah. How do you say it? Yggdrasil. Oh, so I've always wanted to hear how it sounds. So yes, thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Um. A lot of my practice is very similar. Um, first thing when I get up for work is I do cleansing, grounding, centering, shielding work. Um, I check the wards before I leave. If some work needs to be done, I do it. But like with Jim, once I've done that prep work, the whole day can roll with wherever I'm at. So as far as an emergency kit, and this is something I find with a lot of folks who are like into bob bags, bug out bags and things like that it's not the size of the bug out bag. It's are you competent with the tools and the techniques that are useful with those tools in the bag? Cause you can have a little handbag and be just fine. Whereas some tool with a giant ass 40 pound backpack is going to die in the wilderness because they don't know what they're doing. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, uh, Beth, I think you might actually have uh, a confirmation for us on that one. I'm of the mindset that, and our Darren even is chiming in from the chat room saying that consistency is is a hard one for him to work on. I'm of the mindset that it, five to seven minutes is better every day than like an hour is one day and then you miss a day and then half hour here and 20 minutes there. I, I think I'd rather do seven minutes consistently throughout an entire year than have that big swing. Yes, I'm 100% in agreement. My, uh, my teacher, um, Paul Douglas from New World Ayurveda, he talks a lot about this as well. He actually describes it like, it's like if you're, um, you're trying to color yourself with the color of the other world. Mm -hmm. right he doesn't put it that way I put it that way but he talks about coloring yourself he says it's like making color fast on a garment if you've ever done Mm tie-dye you don't like put it in the color and just leave it there because it doesn't work you dip it and you hang it and you let it dry (laughs) and then you dip it again and then you hang it and you let it dry so the color becomes fast in the material Mm-hmm. So we're literally dipping ourselves in the other world and letting it dry mm-hmm. and then dipping ourselves in the other world and letting it dry. And it's like, yeah, I don't want there to be a lot of time between my dippings. <laughs> I want that color all over me and I want it nice and dark. Right? Yeah. Yep. So that when it hits the fan, I am so surrounded and colored from within by it. Mm-hmm. It's so deep in the fabric of my being that even with what was happening, that wasn't all that was happening. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. My world was so much bigger than this thing that was like horrific. Mm -hmm. That was like a moment in time where there's like a before and then this happened and now there's after. And it was, it was so much like a death. Everything in my life died. The world I knew died, and I was now, I had gone across the partir, right? In Spanish, it's partir, like the separation, right? Mm -hmm. And I had gone over that gulf into the new space where there was a new reality. And the thing that went with me was that color. Mm -hmm. And I think if I did nothing else, that, that would be the practice. That would be the whole thing. And I, I don't know that it matters so much um, what you call it. Mm-hmm. I think it matters if you go. And so, like, for shamanic practitioners, like, maybe you understand this, like, like going in, like, going into the other world, um, like, actually having the experience that I'm not only from here. Right. Mm-hmm. So that my world is so much bigger than this house or this town or this city or whatever, that there's a whole other aspect to the universe. And what's happening now is, is smaller Mm -hmm. than that whole thing. And so I had, you know, my experience is what I call an oblivion, Mm -hmm. like um, an obliterating experience, right? Where, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm almost blinded. It's such a shock that like for, three days, I, I don't even know what I did. I was in bed, right? And crying and like, whatever. I don't even know how much I cried. I have no idea. And um, um, I think 
this can happen for a number of reasons to people, but we get the obliteration. That's the separation. That's the opening mm -hmm. of the wound, the opening of the womb, the opening of that hole, that passage. And now I'm in a secret passageway that nobody else is in. Mm -hmm. And I'm in there by myself and finding my way through that is really, really critical. And you know what? That color on me, you can, you can make it into a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the, the tower card in the tarot. Because the, the tarot card, don't get me wrong, it's, it's not something that you want to necessarily happen. You're not going to go looking for it. But when that lightning hits and that tower is on fire and it falls, what's that get you? Get you back to your foundational basics that you've got to rebuild with. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know if they work or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're really, really sure. And it doesn't matter at all what anybody says about it. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody says because either it works or it doesn't. Right. Yep. yep. And I was, I was watching um, something earlier today before I inexplicably fell asleep on the couch. Um, but somebody was, it was, they were interviewing a, an actor, former actor, he's a voice actor, but he does directing and a couple of other things now. And they asked him, where was your, your point in life? Because he, he's a very colorful individual. Um, he wears very co colorful clothing that's very different and unique from different, um, different, uh, or what are they calling like goodwill and um, stuff like that, like thrift stores. And then his hair is always a different shade of uh, blue or green or pink, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, you know, you're in your forties and you're still, you're still doing this. What, what are your thoughts on that? Why, why are you like this still? And he goes, well, you know, he's like, I, I've had a lot of time to think about this. He's like, I started doing this back when I was, I think 12 or 13 years old because I hit a point to where it was I just didn't care anymore about what other people thought of me but my my point is what he was trying to get at was he doesn't get the fact that people end up so spread out and so thin where they have all these things connected to them that they have or draw emotion from in the world that if somebody comes up to them and says something as simple as like, well, I don't like your hair that he would have a reaction to it. But now because he's pulled it all in and focused on his inner world, his inner color, if you would say, mm -hmm. they can't break that. His skin isn't that thin as he says. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I usually go, so what? I, I stick to my basics. I stick to my pillars that I created within me. Mm. my pillars of who I am as a person and that's all that matters. Yeah. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Like he literally created himself a little toolkit to keep himself solid in within the world right. and moving forward. So that's like the strength, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like one of the things when I work with people who are going through stuff, like what will make you strong? Mm -hmm. Because there's always going to be somebody stronger than you. Always. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a situation that's bigger than you are that will put you on your butt. Right? Mm -hmm. 
And there's going to be things that make you kind of fall down and have those obliterating moments. You're a human in a body and the body is not going to last forever. And it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And so what strength? Yeah. And the strength is like knowing what you are mm-hmm. and what you're not such that when you get stripped down by life, it's like, um, Ooh, the story of Inanna. Do you guys know this story? Inanna is what, uh, mm-hmm. she, an Ereshkigal, right? And they go and she goes down to visit her sister. It's like, um, a Middle Eastern, like an old Babylonian, right? Story. Am I right? It's like, um, they, uh, it's Middle Eastern, and she goes and she, she has to descend into hell to visit her sister, Arashkigal, and Arashkigal wants everything before she goes there, right? Because it's like where the death place is. So she has to take off her, her finery, her jewels, and then she has to take off her clothes, and then she has to take off her skin, and then she has to take off, like, take all her organs, and then the bones, and she's just, like, strung up. Um, in order to just talk with her sister. And that happens. It's like a real thing. I mean, right? So it's talking about a real thing that people really go through. Mm -hmm. But it's using the story to talk about it because we can't talk about it directly. Most of the time, if we are experiencing it directly, we can't talk about it because we're like going to burst into tears or we're in a place so inward that we're not able to converse. So preparing for that journey, you absolutely need to already have a sense of who you are in that other place. (laughs) So as as you're talking, I'm reminded of the story of Anvari and Anvarinat, which is uh, his treasure. Um, this plays into the story of Sigurd, the dragon slayer. But in terms of Anvari, Anvari is a dvergur, a dwarf who is, and we'll probably talk a lot about this uh, with our, our uh, forthcoming guest, Susanna, but it ties into knowing your worth and knowing who you are, what you are, what's yours. Uh, that's one of Anvari's big things. And when that is not in balance and Loki takes his treasure and eventually it ends up in the hands of the dragon Fafnir. Well, part of why Fafnir takes the form of a dragon is to hoard his gold. Well, hoard the stolen gold. Um, It's not his. And the, and Vari says to Loki, you can take all my treasure, but don't take the ring. It's cursed. And Loki takes it anyway. It eventually ends up in Fafnir's hoard. And that curse carries with it because it's not Loki's. It's not Fafnir's. Um, And so knowing what is ours is of utmost importance because the only way that that curse actually gets broken in the end is when that treasure is put into the Rhine River by uh, Sigurd. Um, So in a sense, uh, people have to go through their own process of is this my gold is this mine and if it's not theirs then they need to figure that out and figure out where their rhine river is yeah so like when i'm when i'm teaching somebody um when i'm doing the uh spiritual mentoring 
the one of the first things that we'll work on is um, discovering what your core values are, right? Mm-hmm. Because we all have a story that we tell about ourselves to ourselves. Mm. And so there's a process of breaking that down to figure out which parts of those stories really aren't yours, which is, have been gleaned from somewhere else, which ones aren't valid or true. And you have to really bring yourself into alignment with your true story. You have to get back to who you really are in order to move forward. And I think it's really fascinating because what you're talking about, Jim, I you put me through it. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, But what you end up finding is that your story isn't exactly how you originally pictured it to be. Right. So everything that first story you write is not necessarily a lie, but it's the veil that you have over your face and by writing that story, you're kind of peeking behind it going, okay, what's a little deeper? What's a little further? That's a good way of phrasing it. It's interesting too. I, I like hearing the different like layers of people exploring it. And when I think of the treasure, like my brain was like, oh, that's a link back to the yogic concept around this too. Because a lot of times in our culture, and it's our culture that's the bridge. Don't you love it? Like, (laughs) we have sayings, right? Like, where's your treasure? Mm -hmm. There your heart will Mm -hmm. be also, Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? And, and, And so you're talking about the treasure, and I'm like, oh, where is the treasure? In yoga, we talk about, like, not only what is it, but where? Like, where do you feel it? Because a lot of times everybody stays up in the mind, and they want to think about it until the thing happens, right? And then when, when the universe comes and decides you no longer get to have the house or you no longer get to have the spouse or you no longer get to have whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it's gut-wrenching, mm-hmm. and you feel it somewhere in the body, mm-hmm. and you know exactly where it is. And so giving yourself a chance to take it out of the head and into where is it that it gets you when it hits you hard, when you think about, I was um, watching a, a discussion between a couple of people on YouTube a couple days ago, and the guy was telling this story about when his father died, mm-hmm. and he was talking about having the experience of his friends showing up to help with carrying his father at a moment when there was like the Paul bears didn't work out or something and how all his friends took that up. And for me, it was like watching him. I could, I could literally see him like holding his third chakra, like physically in his body, putting his hands over his solar plexus while he's telling the story. And so I knew where he felt it. And I don't know if he was in touch with that body wisdom that third chakra is like his will and that connection of the flow of life and his direction in life and that what was happening with his father was impacting his direction in life which is third chakra and that his friends were coming and 
and supporting literally third chakra, literally his ability to continue his direction and to care for things. And it was like he was saying all the words and his physicality was matching the like deeper spiritual principles about the way in, about what aspect of his spiritual life was kind of peaked in, just tears streaming down his face, right? Because he was so touched. And I think that like that telling the story, you talk about taking people through the story and it's like, yeah, feel, where is that feeling? If it's not yours, you're not going to know because <laughs> it's not going to be in there anywhere. You're not going to find yourself guarding. I'll talk to people and I'll see them doing this while they're telling a story and they're like <laughs> kind of pulling at their necklace or shirt or whatever. And like, they're like, why am I doing that? And I'm like, yeah, it's fifth chakra. That's like your ability to express yourself is like coming once stimulation wants to be there. So I think noticing, you know, in yoga, we talk about where these um, whirling balls of energy are that are just prior to this world, right? So we have the physical world, the physical body, and then just before that, we have the chakras, which are like energetic, whirling energies that are from the divine, that co-create us as us. They're the us on just the other, just on the other side of the veil, like right there. And they're constantly active, and you can literally feel them in the body when you have a sudden um, emotion around how much you care for your child or how much you um, appreciated a gift from a friend or whatever that is. So that might be the second thing to have in your toolkit is an awareness oh. in the body. No, we're actually, we're going to go on to the second one. Oh, all right. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. That first one's the main one. It yeah. really is. Well, and I think it's really important to have, at least in the beginning for those very first couple of days to have that really that one thing that you have a real solid grasp on, whether it's, it's meditation or it's prayers or it's whatever that, even if it's just lighting a candle every day and focusing on the energy of that flame, you know, having that one thing that you do super, super well will be the best first tool that you have within your kit to kind of help, pull you out of it and into the rest of the tools that you will use further on as you transition through this phase. Yeah, I think, I think to go in a little bit though, cause like if, if somebody, you know, um, is listening to this and kind of going, well, I, I don't know how you could do that. Like I couldn't do that. Like my first three days, that was the oblivion. Mm -hmm. That was where I was into and out of dream state. You guys are aware of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that you're like kind of traveling, like my body almost kind of split from spirit and spirit was traveling and, and gaining its sense of things. So I think the fact that I meditated kept me able to get back together. Mm -hmm. I, I was actually just thinking that like, so speculation um, time, but after that big of a trauma, according to some traditions anyway, if you hadn't had some level of, of practice that made you 
used to returning, that's really where we're talking about soul loss at that point in time. The people who don't have the sort of retraining or to, to the wherewithal to bring things back themselves, that's where often trauma is going to cause those pieces to get lost, and need to be reclaimed. Would you agree yes. with that? Yes. So I would absolutely 100% agree. I think when I was on here before, I talked about how after my first, the first one I went through when I was 16, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that I did experience soul loss. And then I, I later, several years later, was fortunate enough to get to study with a shamanic practitioner who was very good at taking me through learning to do soul retrieval myself um, via dream work. And so um, that was a very long involved process for me. That was 10 years, right? So 10 years for the first one, this one was like (laughs) a year. I'm doing great. (laughs) You see people, if you do a constant, consistent spiritual practice every day of your life, if you have a traumatic event that it'll go from 10 years to one year. (laughs) And I honestly, I think I think it really was like at six months, I was, I was really sure I was totally solid. Um, mm-hmm. And I never experienced like the splitting, but I think for three days I was into and out of different states. And I think that having had the practice grounded me, so like, was I meditating? I don't know. I wasn't looking at a clock. I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't even know. I'm sure I made it to the bathroom because I didn't find a mess. <laughs> but, like, but like, if you've been through something like that, you know what I'm talking about too. Like yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes it hits the fan and seriously, you have no idea what happened for three days. So yep. that is not the time to be like, you know, I need my meditation practice. It's three o'clock. <laughs> right? yeah. But otherwise I did. Right. Yeah. Other- and as soon as I really was sure I was like kind of staying and like good and not having the travel from the obliteration, you guys understand that maybe better than some of the yogis that I'm around. Cause I feel like I- I'm seeing heads nod. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, so there's like a three day of like, I have no idea what's happening really. And the soul is tending itself wherever. And then I came back and I was like, okay, I'm here and it's different now. And that's when I resumed. So the, so the resuming mm-hmm. uh, meditation practice and you go like super deep um, and drop right in. And, um, and then chakras for me, I teach people to go through a process of learning to check their own chakras and how they're doing and a process of actually tending them. So as soon as I came back, meditation started. And the second thing I did was I started at chakra one again. Mm-hmm. And all my clients know this. I started at chakra one, chakra one, food, clothing, shelter, sleep, transportation, tribe, right? And so I just went through the list and most days I can do one thing on the list and I'm like, Oh yeah, food. Okay. At eating. Wow. Totally forgot about that. Right. To ground myself back into the body um, and bring myself back into physicality more solidly. And so yoga is very, um, 
gives us a lot of tools for just getting back into that grounding. So that grounding practice for people who are doing that, that would be a part of that. Um, Having a lot of rhythm around drumming. Mm -hmm. Drumming's a great one. Oh yeah. Do you guys do drumming? Yeah, yeah. Not as often Mm -hmm. as I want to. Yeah. (laughs) I'm right there with you, Jim. So do you use the drumming for grounding? You know, Hmm. I don't usually set off with that intent. It's usually what happens anyway, if that makes sense. My use of drumming, whether it's through music in my headphones or whether it's my actual drum, is usually when I'm going somewhere. So I use it more as a form of transportation than I do as a form of grounding. Um, so there's this concept of riding the wind horse in um, Buryat shamanism. Um, we have a very similar kind of view with the work we do with our drums. Um, so if I'm traveling to an other world and I need some kind of helper, I'm going to work with that drum and I'll physically work with it. A lot of cases, cause I'm doing a lot of this work at work during uh, in between shifts and stuff. Um, I will work with the, uh, the drumming I have in my headset. So the, it's kind of a carrier. So for me, it's, it's not really a grounding exercise. It's more of a come on out in your, the, the drum is the hoof beats or the wing beats or the paw beats, uh, if you will, of coming out of the body and going somewhere or going inside sometimes depends on what's right. needed to be done. That's yeah. fascinating. I can get that. Yeah. Cause my drum does both. It depends on, so like sometimes obviously I'm using it for journey work and I think, um, um, I'm using it often to help facilitate other people's journeys because it seems mine seems particularly talented in that regard. Um, but sometimes I, you know, you just get stressed out and you just, you just want to sit down and drum. You just want to sit there and noodle around on it a little bit. And then, and at that point in time, it's more of a grounding and a comforting thing. So a lot of it's going to depend on what I ask the drum for, I guess, in some regards. That's so neat though. Cause, okay. So when I, when I studied with, uh, when I studied shamanic practice, I was taught to journey and I was taught to always use drum mm-hmm. to journey. And I don't remember her words for how she described it, but the way I picked it up was that it was like a tether mm-hmm. that it was like my, like if you think of an astronaut and they have the like te- like the air, the oxygen back to the spaceship, like old school. And um, so it was like, as long as I can hear it, then I have my connection back to the physical body. And um, that, uh, that we follow that, that we stay with that. And, um, but I had never heard it put with wind horse. Yeah, if you're if you're interested in in that, I definitely recommend the two books that I've read by Sarangarel, "Riding the Wind Horse" and "Chosen by the Spirits." And I, I can send those to you in uh, chat. Um, but those are definitely ones I recommend if you're interested in Buryat Mongolian shamanism. Unfortunately, since she's passed, um, but she's left a wealth of information behind, and I'm very grateful that she was able to because while I am not a Buryat or Mongolian shaman, a lot of the 
concepts cross quite a bit into Northern tradition shamanism. And it's been a great help me for figuring out language and what concepts I'm looking for when I go into our own, like I primarily work with Old Norse. So it's like, oh, here's this concept. Now I need to find either a word for it or I need to make a neologism for it, like a new word for it. So, um, Yeah, so that's fascinating though because, okay, so this is like it's connected to the breath, which is mm -hmm. common in yoga. Mm -hmm. So this is like people in yoga will use breath or they will use um, mantra, which is usually how I teach uh, people to meditate to go in and if you read the yoga sutras of Patanjali um, my teacher's description of it I think is very good Paul Douglas but you you can um, if you go into meditating you literally start going in like like it will lift you and you will end up riding it like a vehicle and Patanjali actually discusses this and this is where you get into the third chapter of the yoga sutras and it's very challenging a lot of times for people because either their their um, teachers the monks haven't taught them or they just haven't had the experiences so they don't know what they're reading um, and people are like oh yeah that's where the yoga sutras get weird and I'm like well it's where you're supposed to ride mm -hmm. and so I think my background in um, journeying helped me to really pick up on that pretty well because you are you're entering a different way um, and it's a it's a different realm these are different traditions and they have their own place um, but I'm just I'm going okay so there's like the breath right so we associate that with prana and the pranic mm -hmm. field, right? Which would be the breath, which I know, so my family are Celtic, and mm -hmm. so I have this connection to the Celtic tradition, so this would be Awen, right? I know that yep. my Awen in Celtic tradition, A-W-E-N, which I know translates into... Ond, uh, for the Old North. Ond. It's a... And it's a very similar thing to what you're talking about. So chi, prana, it, so uh, O with an umlaut and ND. Okay. And it's a very, it's based, it means breath. Yeah. And it fulfills a very, if not the same, a very similar function to chi and prana. So yeah. <laughs> I'm loving, loving the way your face is glowing on, on the uh, monitor. Well, this really is like my favorite topic. Actually, I'm doing like, I love this. So it's like, okay, so there's chi, there's ki, there's prana, and there's awen. Do we have the breath in, in your tradition, Jim? Yeah, uh, the, the breath is definitely a huge part, and I'm trying to... It's been such a week. I'm having trouble pulling words for it. Uh, the the both basic I can come to in the Peruvian concept is uh, Aini, which is sacred reciprocity, but it's also like the the energy around us, and um, it's kind of that living energy. The living energy, yeah. So this equating this to wind horse, and then looking at that as like we can ride the breath, we can ride the sound, 
that comes with that, that pulls that with it, right? So the sounds of mantra brings the resonating that makes it into the strong thing. So when I've read about wind horse, it's been Tibetan instead of Mongolian. And they talk about it has this like um, shining to it, this force. They talk about Vajra in connection with it. The lightning bolt arises, which I'm sure there's like a whole bunch of Norse stuff that connects in there. Yeah. 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 Um, so <laughs> it, it's not quite in the same manner, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like you just too long didn't read yeah there's a lot that's that's copacetic with this yeah so that's like amazing so in in judaism and the hebrew tradition so i study Kabbalah. Kabbalah is the like um like the the um more mystical tradition of judaism and i studied Kabbalah with um jews in israel um, my father speaks Hebrew and my Hebrew was just good enough to follow. Um, I can't like, like it was in English, but we used all Hebrew terminology for everything. And I was able to kind of keep up, which was great. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they talk about Ruach, uh, Ruach. So this is like the breath of God. It gets translated if people are reading in the Christian tradition or whatever, but this, this notion of, um, the power to speak or the power to use, to bring sound, to bring Vajra, to bring thunder, to bring that wind horse. Like I'm hearing the same thing and the association with the drum had never happened for me before. So this is interesting because I think this is a, like um, when you see these kind of universal experiences, you start going, oh, this is a thing. This is not mm -hmm. like a, like every culture under the sun has independently known that they could ride something in. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the interconnecting of there's energetic, like swirling energetic vortexes within all of us from all traditions. Like you've got mm -hmm. the cauldrons in the mm -hmm. Celtic tradition. You've got the belts in the Cairo. You've got the, the chakras. It's so funny how, similar all the traditions are across the world literally across the world just our terminology is slightly different but the fact that we have something that we literally ride into that separate state of being that carries us maybe it's a boat maybe it's a wind horse maybe it's breath yeah the notion of vehicle and so the ability, right, to cross into and out of, to go and to come back and the experience. I like, um, Jim, how you were talking about that regular rhythm of knowing how to come back mm -hmm. and how important that is. The return is often the hardest part. And mm -hmm. um, when something big happens, knowing knowing how to return. If we talk about the hero's journey, we can get a little too caught up in the idea of the boon or the special thing we're supposed to bring back. Like I've had this horrific experience and I'm supposed to get something from it so I can bring something back for the people. And people feel compelled to rush to knowing what that is. And that's like a whole process. But the big thing is a lot of times I think um, maybe those who are not in the shamanic tradition can receive a lot from those of you who are in the shamanic traditions about that concept of returning doesn't happen just once. 
Yeah, actually, uh, um, two, two, one funny thing is that we're teaching a class on that coming up fairly soon. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, the, the three of us with along with Carr, uh, mm-hmm. Vegas and the cat, we're doing a whole panel on you've had a life changing experience or ritual and now what? Because it's, it's all about how do you integrate that back into, mm-hmm. into your life. But interesting enough, just a few days ago, I had uh, a talk with an old friend of mine, a colleague that, um, had went to uh, Ecuador and had been part of an ayahuasca ceremony. And she was really nervous because she'd never had an experience like that before, never used psychedelics of any sort and and was really worried about what would happen. Uh, But the part that relates to what you're talking about was the, the traditional shaman in the, in the jungle when they were instructing the people, the the three or four of them, I think it was that, that were getting the healing ceremony done was that you weren't supposed to speak of what you saw for at least six months. Mm -hmm. It was going to take you that long to integrate all these different subtle layers and processes to your vision before you might risk spoiling it about talking about it before. And they really had to be specific because those of us are Westerners, although really we're talking about North Americans by and large, but Westerners that uh, we want to talk about everything immediately. She said she never in all her time down there with many ceremonies, only one was ayahuasca, but there were several other ceremonies. Never did the shaman ask a, what you were working on or B how'd it go. It was assumed that you were working on what you needed to work on. And it was also assumed that you didn't need to talk about it until you had integrated it. So they, so they hold the space yeah, and they give them some training on, on the types of things they're going to experience, but they don't, they Not don't. Not even that with the ayahuasca. It was really interesting to me because this wasn't a big retreat, like some of the commercial ones that, that we have all warned about on this show. Um, this was really, uh, it was an entire family affair because the entire family went out in the jungle to gather the components for the ayahuasca. Mm. It was just a very small little gathering. They were in the family's home, literally. So it wasn't like it was a resort or something like that. And uh, she said she hadn't even fully realized that the ayahuasca ceremony had started until he came along and touched her on the head with the bowl containing the ayahuasca. And even then she only kind of felt the energy of it and thought, well, maybe this is some sort of preparatory thing. No, that was it. That was the most of the ritual had actually been taken place already by the family out in the jungle, collecting the things. The people sitting around to drink the ayahuasca didn't need to see all this big grand show. They just needed the ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, they, they no real preparation, no asking what you were working on. It was assumed that you were going to work on what you needed to work on and that you would see what you needed to see. That's fascinating. Isn't the, it? The, this is similar to my experience with Baba Lao. Um, and uh, like a, um, like Santeria priesthood. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to my experience. Like, it's interesting when you are dealing with people from, like, India who are performing um, specific rituals at certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. They, like, there's a sacred space. There's stuff that's set up. But they're, like, into and out of it. They'll, in the middle of the ritual, just, like, grab some water and, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) you're, You're just, like, 
hanging out and they happen to be doing this. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my mentor, Mateo, always used to talk about the, the ceremonies in Peru. And she said, you know, you got dogs wandering in and out, kids playing, middle of, a, middle of something going on. Some of the elders get up to wander off to go to the bathroom and come back. But it doesn't actually interrupt the energy flow at all. It's just part of life. Right. Life is not an interruption. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's a different conception of what ceremony is compared to us, which is where we really need to start getting into a mindset about even things like cleaning our house and going to our job or whatever. It's all part of the larger ceremony. We just have to recognize it as such a lot of times. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because, yes, that processing part. Like nobody's in there with you. Yeah. Well, and if you're not allowed to talk about what you saw for six months afterwards, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to be going to convocation. So people are going to have these massive rituals there. If you walked out of that and weren't allowed or were recommended not to talk about it for six, eight months, how much more effective would those rituals be? And, and as a kind of a side thought, is the ritual really over until those six months have gone by? It's really not. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, though, because what, what we're really discussing is boundary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where the boundary is. And rather than around the moment having the boundary, it's around the inner space. And that that's given sacred boundary. It's fascinating. And this is actually in keeping with the Greek mysteries, right? The Eleusia mysteries, they were like not allowed to talk about it. Right. Yeah, only if you were initiated could you, could you refer to it with another person. There were call signs, there were hand signs. It was an entire initiatory process. You did not talk to non-initiates about what you experienced. And like we literally still don't know anything because they were so, like that was such a like you do not talk because it is your own experience like the the boundary was not i wonder now i'm like wow i really wish i could have gone maybe i did who knows but (laughs) but thinking about that thinking about the soma ritual which is a similar kind of thing in india and there's like discussion about if it was actually the movement of the soma ritual into greece like i've heard people discussing this and thinking about that notion of what is protection? We were talking about bug out bags earlier. And I think maybe that's, an, that's a really important critical piece is for before something happens, for people to consider what is protection of psychic space? And if we know that ancients everywhere put the boundaries around that inner psychic space, what functions is that for us in our culture? So I've got two things I want to bring up because um, sometimes physical spaces were actually warded spiritually and physically. For instance, when there, you had a sacred duel called the Holmgang, um, which I think roughly translates to island combat or something like that. Because uh, most of these were held on islands. You'd rope the area off with a literal rope and there were, uh, formalized rules about what the combatants were supposed to engage in, no subterfuge, da-da-da-da. Um, and it was inviolable space. And it was literally just a rope on the ground or between, like, not even like a wrestling match kind of thing. Like, it's just a rope. 
and these two combatants would fight. Um, so sometimes you have a physical demarcation of space. And so we have temples that have inner sanctums, whether you're talking about India, Greece, um, the old Norse or old Celtic groves, there's kind of this Holy of Holies, which contains the inner mystery. And if we think to the temple internally in that sense, that part of the, the daily work and the daily care is making sure that your innermost sanctum is taken care of, that you, your soul or soul parts as the case may be, depending on how you see it, um, make, make sure that you and yourself are put together in such a way that no matter what happens on the outside, the inner sanctum is going to be okay. Um, so to me, like the physicality of the sacred spaces matters. Um, we were ta- Jim was talking about like physically cleaning. That does matter because the inner is a reflection of the outer and vice versa, but also because these things matter because they in themselves are invested with spirits and energy. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm sitting here going, yeah, 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 this all makes a lot of sense and kind of things stacking on things. I like it. I like it yeah. a lot. So like how you deal with trauma, right? How you deal with the horrific things in life that can literally come in and sometimes like you lose an arm. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's not Mm going to be a physical boundary that stops the fact that you have a physical body and looking at what is protection? Like really? So where do you feel it? So we were talking EDC and, and bug out bags. And so like people, people usually like, okay, well, what's the number one tool you got to have? Well, before you even think about tools, do you have the training? Like, like, like think further back guys, <laughs> before you even think about, well, what's got to be in this, this rucksack or this bag or this, you know, what's my everyday carry? What's your mindset? Because what, what's your environment? You know, what's your thought process? Like, why are you doing this? Because if you're putting together a bug out bag with the thought that this is going to make you survive the fall of civilization, you're going to die. <laughs> like the point of a bug out bag is to make sure that you're safe until you're in a place where, you know, if, if you're not safe, you're in a place where you can get to be safe. Right. The bug out bag is not there to, yeah, go ahead. My bug out bag contains items sacred to Loki, Coyote, <laughs> and Huascar. <laughs> Those three, I can get through anything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's a huge thing. And it, my brain actually, as you were talking about that, also went to like, okay, who's the best among us at protection and preparation? And I'm thinking about Olympic athletes. I'm thinking about people who better be able to perform when it really counts, when a lot of people are watching and the potential for embarrassment over like two tenths of a second is high, Mm -hmm. right? Like two tenths of a second. Oh, sorry. You don't get the millions of dollars in sponsorships. And now you're like working at McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a big deal. So Looking at um, how does one um, prepare is absolutely their protection, their protection of their livelihood, their protection of this precious thing that's not just representing them, but representing like their nation and like all of these other like symbols and things. It's kind of like a, a, 
um, like a sacred emblem of a, of a national thing instead of a religious thing. But you think about like, that does come down to not just preparation, not even just being smart, but being really regular in your practice so that what you're actually practicing is with the actual moment, that actual activity in mind. If I know I have to swing a tennis racket this way sometimes because that person hits the ball this way, I am not going to practice the other way of swinging my racket, right? I'm going to practice the thing that actually is what I need to be able to do. And I think in this way, a lot of shamanic practitioners are prepared in ways already that other people aren't, but, but going in, reaching in with contact on a regular basis does it makes it so that you're prepared. Like it's not, I'm not in an unknown space. (laughs) These conversations with you, Beth, are so natural and I'm having so much fun, but I can't, did we actually get to point two? It's been like an hour and a half. I don't know. We haven't got to point two yet. Yeah, let's go through it. Let's go through it. Number one one is like meditation or some other practice to actually like connect with the divine. Number two for me was the chakras and following the the Mm -hmm. levels of like how I do self-care. So each of the chakras covers a different level of that. And I can start with chakra one and go through. And I teach that when I work with my clients, I teach them how to do that themselves so that they don't need to go to a person. And when something happens, they can do that themselves. Um, So having a a form of how you do a check-in for your own care and safety on all levels, all the bodies, right? That makes sense, yep. The third one is have protection and be really, really sure that you feel the protection. That's a good point. I'm sorry. My I'm for all of our listeners, I am feeling under the weather. So my brain goes to really bad places. Basically (laughs) we're talking about having a spiritual condom. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. I mean, well, you know, it's really not even just spiritual. I mean, if we're, if we're really being honest, so mm-hmm. like if you're having an emotional bad day or if you're having an illness, if you're not feeling a little under the weather, like you are, Caitlin, having a safe and secure place where you can go nest up, you've got clean blankets, you've got, mm-hmm. you know, some teas available, you've got things for self-care. That's got to be part of the protection checklist as well, I would think. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's all the bodies. Mm-hmm. So do you, you have multiple bodies in your tradition, yeah? Yes. Yep. So yep, we, we have, have them in Northern tradition too. Rock. Okay. So we're all speaking the same language. This is so great. Okay. I love learning this. This is so much fun. Okay. So we've got all these bodies, but I'm curious about yours. <laughs> 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 what are our spiritual avatars like? Oh, good gods. Um, why don't you guys go first? Yours are shorter. Are they? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Mine has about 17 parts, so. Oh. 17 bodies? They, it's true. The Northern tradition, they do separate things out a little bit further. Where? Uh, guys, go ahead. Where they, 
<laughs> the way that we were taught primarily has to do with a couple different versions of the energetic self, which one, one is um, rather like the aura. The other would be more like, a, a, I don't know if you want to call it a supercharged aura. That's a, it's the main two energy bodies that we're dealing with anyway. You have two energy bodies? Yeah, in a sense. So like you have one that is more your, I want to try to think about the best way to describe these. So you've got the energetic field, which is more under your control, so to speak, one that you can kind of explore with and touch out with. And usually it's, it's the part of you that in my experience, anyway, I'm using a lot for like journey work. Um, as opposed to a part of my energetic self, which is the overlap between myself and the divine. So like you were talking about the chakras existing in two different dimensions, right? It's kind of the, the sacred bubble or not that is us, and it is both us and its divine simultaneously. Is that, Interesting. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So I think so we split that one into two. Kind of, yeah. So the first one he's talking about is the, I believe the, you're talking about the Weeracocha. The Weeracocha right? and the Pukpo. Yep. Are the the yep. Pukpo is the one that's your energy bubble that's more kind of controllable. Although the terms get intermingled a lot, depending on who you ask. So, I mean, um, uh, Mateo used to use both kind of interchangeably sometimes. So. Mm -hmm. The, the Weeracocha is similar to, the way I see it is kind of like a, an umbrella that kind of cascades over the body when you push it out like it's all still connected and you're still in a bubble and you just push it out and you get that real good spatial awareness of everything that's around you mm. and the the pokpo is like a um, is it i picture it like a chakra but it's like a really tightly knit sailor's knot of energetic cords that you can actively move throughout the body. Yeah. Um, and it's, for me, that's what I send out to journey with. These are close to bodies. They have bodies in Chinese medicine and they've got both of those. The, the thing that is, I think important to understand at least how I was trained in the in the Peruvian traditions is and even amongst some people that are more of an anthropological bent is we the, the Peruvian traditions would not be considered classically shamanic because they acted more as the priests or facilitators in their culture without a lot of emphasis on journey work necessarily right so there's a little bit of a difference at least in the mountain traditions so i mean i've even seen it say, people say well those aren't shamanic traditions well technically no because they're not mongolian so we're not gonna you know <laughs> we, can, we can split hairs all you want i know what i do in my in my practice but we can that's getting a little technical i suppose that's fascinating all these different bodies can you give us like um, an overview of the the Norse kind of? So, okay. Cliff notes. Cliff yeah. Notes. So okay. <laughs> the the big thing you gotta you gotta understand with with the the um, 
the Northern tradition cosmology of the soul is that it's a lot like with the Peruvians. This is not just something that's for spiritual specialists. Everybody's got these. Uh, everybody has access to these, whether or not they use them. So you've got things like, um, so you've got your like, so your physical body is part of the soul matrix. Your, um, your liter, your blooming hue, your inner health, your, your, the health of, of your body is actually a part of the soul matrix. Um, your hammer, which is your second self, if you will. Uh, so if you're, if you're really good at shape-shifting and faring forth, you're, you're known as uh, hammerarger. Is that your doppelganger? Uh, basically, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So you, you have a lot of different um, concepts that are around different bodies. So like your, your will is your vili, and it actually is a part of the soul matrix. It's its own separate thing. Uh, you have your muther, your mood, uh, which is what it usually translates to. It's your emotional state. Ond, uh, which we talked about earlier, the breath. Um, your huger and your munir, your thought and your memory. Um, are part of the soul matrix, your higher self, if you will, your gothi or your githia is part of this as well. Your, um, uh, come on, your, your philgia, your helping spirits, the literally means follower. Uh, some people look at this as the fetch. And so you're not supposed to really interact with it. Um, I don't, I, I take it as the literal term as the follower. So these are spirits that work with you. You're not supposed to interact with it. Supposedly, with the with the idea of the filge as fetch, you're not supposed to because if you see it, it means that you're going to die. So there's a lot of different interpretations around these systems that may or may not jive with how we see things. So that's that's a really important distinction to make because one concept may not translate well between different systems. So this is also where, where boundaries are pretty big because when you go into the idea of kin filge, so there's filge, and I, I look at these as spirits that work with you, either it's mentorship, friendship, yada, yada. Then there's kinfilgia, and these are ancestor spirits that work with you. And they may not be blood, flesh ancestors. It might be your, your ancestors worked with the wolf, and this is a wolf that's worked with your ancestors for X many generations. I'm throwing that out there as a generality. Um, and then number 12 is uh, your Megan. This is your personal power. And then you, you build this by fulfilling oaths. So this is like what you do, how you do it has direct impacts on all these soul parts. Um, number 13 is Hamingya. And this is group luck, group power. This is something you build with other people. The oaths you take with other people in your groups. Um, yeah, I, I can't get too deep in the weeds on these. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Then you have they which is your sense of the sacred because ve translates to sacred, holy. Um, ve also translates to shrine uh, or sacred place. So this is your sense of working with the sacred. You have your wo or uther and your uther is, can you go into altered states of consciousness? Can you engage with your hammer and various soul bodies very well? Um, then you have your otolog, which is your personal thread of weird or uther. And then you have Earther, which is the tapestry itself. So all of these have different interplays and all these have different boundaries and where you begin versus where other people begin depends on what soul part you're talking about. And they have analogies and, and analogs and uh, so on in different religious traditions. But some, some traditions don't put it quite so minutely as we do. I had no idea. 
Yeah, this is also why I went last, because holy crap. <laughs> it's so very German to have that all diagrammed out like that. And this is your soul, and it is neat and tiny. You know, I had never heard that about the fetch. That you're not supposed oh, okay. to your fetch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, even the interpretation of the fetch differs depending on who you ask and in what context. Yeah, and it may be that because I, I learned it from um, a different, a different, like a really specific tradition. So in that one, that was never told to me. So that's interesting. <laughs> it's like I've been hanging out with my fetch a lot. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> is the chakras actually will act as a fetch? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But then I've never seen them do that. They just do. Right. The thing, the thing so, too, is that, well, like with, um, with the filgia, it was said that if you were going to have a guest come over or something, sometimes their filgia would announce their presence. So other people seeing it wasn't the problem. So like if, so, if you know, if I'm going to come over to Jim's house and a wolf shows up at his doorstep, oh, that might be sorry. There might be, you know, somebody else who's got a wolf spirit or it might just be a wolf spirit or, uh, oh shit, I've got a wolf on my doorstep. <laughs> Let me count the people it could be. Right, but um, it might announce your presence ahead of time. Interesting. So that's a fa that's a fascinating one because there's like a lot of Celtic stories about that. Whew. I had no idea that existed there. Yeah, there's a lot of tie-ins um, with some of that and with some of the Peruvian tradition to Chinese medicine into the the bodies in that and if you um ever have the chance to work with an um acupuncturist who does the five elements mm -hmm. um you might if you go to acupuncturist you might ask them if they know five elements tradition just to let you know because then they'll just talk about which bodies they're working with which is fascinating that's really um, cool yeah and then you can work with your own knowing of that because um, I'm hearing similar, so it's kind of. I have to ask Rose about it next time we see her, right? Maybe mm -hmm. next metaphysics discussion group. We have a, a local doctor of Chinese medicine that does acupuncture. So. Five that. elements is is usually very little studied and kind of rare in the community. But if you can find somebody whose main focus is on five elements, they'll know that stuff pretty well. Um, so it's, it's kind of been interesting uh, to meet people like that because we can talk about the five bodies and... Right. Well, that's why I'm interested if Rose knows it because uh, um, she comes from a polytheist household and is a polytheist herself. And those are a lot of experience with energy bodies and energy work. So if anyone has heard of it, it's likely to be Rose. So... I guess Where we is she? Have that conversation. She's got uh, offices here in Jackson and uh, Ypsilanti, I believe. So, yeah, <laughs> I see that thinking face. <laughs> I might have to venture out <laughs> this person. All right, so we got we got to number three, which is protection. What did we decide? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to get through this somehow before we get to the three-hour mark. Three, <laughs> I think three is pretty good. I think three is pretty good because that second one for me is going through each of the bodies and making sure they're protected. And for right. the the poor the poor Norse men among us that, that, that is like way way 
way intense and should be definitely undertaken before something happens. That's those 13 bug out bags that'll weigh them down. (laughs) 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 To be fair, not everybody works with the soul matrix who's heathen. Um, Some only have four. So you've got your Hooger, your Mooner, your Hammer, and your Lique. So there's some, some people who are heathen who have very small um, compared to the 17 parts and it works just fine. So, so no judgment there. Um, I just, I like, I like the 17 parts though. (laughs) That's like a lot. I feel like I just gave you a ton of homework. Uh, (laughs) No. This is about on par. His mouth. I've got two more books. I haven't read yet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, it's, it's, I think to, to, to understand how to prepare yourself emotionally and spiritually for that, you know, that um, big, horrible thing that will happen in life at some point. I have yet to see somebody who gets through this thing without doing that. I think an interesting thought process, if you're, at least for me, um, you're out there wondering how do I even begin to put together a bug out bag. Um, First, teach yourself awareness of yourself, like learn how to observe how you act and react in certain situations. You know, if you live in a big city, go down to the most crowded area you can possibly find and meditate sit and close your eyes and make sure you're safe obviously you know don't do this in a dangerous part of the city but somewhere where there's noise somewhere where there's a bit of chaos and and just energy going on around you that you have no control over and see if you can go inward and find the things because there will be little little tiny things that you'll find that help you kind of navigate these these areas of your life these experiences if you will and those you can add to your tool bags from those experiences and expand on them and build on them find what works find what brings you peace and comfort and start from there yeah as you talk about that too i think if i were going to add a fourth i would say um explore your physicality Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of people that turns into I need to go exercise and that's certainly one way to do it but I think for you to come to understand what you do when in pain mm. what is going to get you close to pain what is not going to get you close to pain and to begin to work with can I hang out at the edge of that on a regular basis because the edges between having pain and having comfort is really what prepares you. Mm. I think that um, when we are going through something like cancer, um, cancer sometimes comes with a ton of pain and sometimes it comes with a total absence of pain. And a person is shocked that they could have this horrible thing going on. Um, There's nothing no signaling by the body and now they have to go through chemo and so going from feeling fine 
and then choosing to make the, choosing to make themselves sick in effect in order to be fine again um, can be very challenging for the mind to wrap its head around and can feel very chaotic and for the body to be hanging out on the edge of nausea and pain and to will be willing to walk right up and say, you know what, it doesn't feel comfortable, but it, but I can do it. Can I endure this? And, you know, the Norse traditions have a thing. I don't know if in Peru you do. Do you have cold um, bathing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. This yep. is huge, right? To choose yeah. to put yourself into cold and tell yourself, I can do this and this will benefit me and I will learn the endurance. And that when you get out, then your body like recalibrates. Um, when I lived up in the cold north in Marquette, um, Michigan, up on Lake Superior, we, we have a lot of saunas and people get into the heat, but we also do a lot of cold, like dipping into Superior mm-hmm. at the coldest part of winter. And it recalibrates, it resets your internal temperature so that I'm like, I was terrified to do it. I thought I would never, ever be somebody who could handle that. And once I did it, I was like, I didn't get cold again the rest of the winter (laughs) because my internal fire kicked up so much (laughs) that it understood real cold and it wasn't going to mess around anymore. And I could feel my body rising up to protect me from the cold now. And I thought, my goodness, my ancestors did this, you know, from the Celtic lands. Um, Why didn't I think of this before? (laughs) Yeah, In Peru, there's a lot of, in the mountain traditions, there is uh, obviously a lot of lakes and rivers that are glacial, glacial ice melt. Little on the chilly side. It's so good. So good. So I think testing testing your um, limits yeah who's that guy wim hoff have you seen him william hoff or wim hoff um i'll see if i can send it to you um he's like russian or something and he teaches people how to do breathing and go into cold and endure sub-zero like Oh, wow. temperatures and and he does it as a training like you can get his book or something and sign up and he takes you through a process of like in 14 days teaching the body to accept things and i think that's probably one of yeah. your best ways of training yourself that should should that day come when you're having to endure something that doesn't feel good mm-hmm that you have a a technique, a method of working with the body to understand that the experience of pain is not there for your suffering. It's there for your knowing. Mm. Yeah. The guy's name is uh, Wim Hof and his technique is called the Iceman. The Iceman's breathing technique. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You've got YouTube videos and stuff. Now I got three damn books like that. <laughs> There's actually a book that I read and it, uh, I want to call him by his old name and I can't, I can't remember what his, uh, his new name is, but uh, uh, Tony, our friend Tony. Oh, uh, Wolf Dancing. No, that's, no, that's old, the old one. 
that's the old one. I can't remember his new one. Yeah. Um, but he lent me a book years and years ago about uh, a young kid in a northern sort of reserve up there, and he was um, he was a delinquent. He was juvenile, um, wild, could not be tempered. Um, vicious and was on the verge of life in prison so the elders got together and said okay you are going to the island and it was capitalized capital t capital i the island story you're talking about yeah um and they said you're gonna go and you're gonna stay there i think for like a year and you're going to learn the lesson of life yeah and so he was out there and they gave him some supplies to start but said you have to figure this out on your own and i think they kept coming back every three months or every couple of weeks just to check and make sure he wasn't dead and finally he broke down and was like i am done i'm not fucking doing this anymore i want to go back to the mainland and his elder was like come here i want to show you something and did the ice bath with him and took him to that pond and said, you're going to do this every single day because essentially you need to recalibrate. You need to reset and become a new human being. And you're going to do this. If you go back there, you're going to prison. This is your only option. And he did. And it, it's a very good book. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but it was, it was an amazing yeah, little story. Story, but I can't think of the name of it either. No. I've read it too. And I, I couldn't find it. <laughs> it it's um, so I'm not braining well tonight anyway. So uh, no. <laughs> total fog. This is the first I've heard of it. This is fascinating as hell. But it, it's so, it's so important though. I think if you want to, so one of the things I do with my clients is I want them to be, absolutely sure mm. that they feel like they know how to care for themselves, that they know what they can do and they know where their edge is, where their edge of improvement, what they're leaning into is I want confident, strong people. And what's amazing is people come to me at a moment when they're not feeling strong, they're, they're actually being crazy resilient. They're actually working through really tough problems, but I'm taking them through, not only are we gonna like help you feel better with this, but we're going to use this as the tool for you to see what you're made of and to understand your power and understand your strength so that you never look at the, the big fear Mm-hmm. and don't know what you are in the face of it again. The beautiful thing about what you do, Beth, is people come to you in a moment of, fuck it, I have tried everything and I don't know what else to do. I am barely treading water. Can you help me? Can you give me a life raft? And you like, yeah, sure. Here's a ladder. Climb into the life raft yourself. I'll be waiting. And once they get in, you're like, here's a paddle, start paddling us to shore. And they're like, we're going on a trip to hell. Now <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what the title of tonight's episode is going to be. <laughs> I got some music. We're going to have a good time. Yep. <laughs> we're going to go episode dance with 37. your demons. We're going on a trip to hell. <laughs> 
but it's so subtle and you don't realize it's happening until after you're already paddling and you're like, wait, what the fuck? What, why am I doing this? And you're just back there kind of twiddling your thumbs like, no, no, you're good. Keep going. It's fine. I'm yeah, still you, here. You just paddled this boat like 25 miles. You want to do 25 more? And the person's like, I guess. <laughs> sure. You better if you want to go back to shore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Can I? I want to riff on something that you said a few minutes ago too about not, people not knowing what that body or that body bag. See, now my brain's really <laughs> bug out bag looks like in an energetic sense. Um, like, so one of the things that occurs to me is there's two ways of looking at that preparation as well. Besides, like the the, the minutes that you spend meditating or doing yoga or something every day, but from a a magical classical magical standpoint you could sigilize some of those emotions and feelings so you could create a sigil and sigils are not limited to drawings or pieces of paper or words a sigil can actually be a hand gesture or a body posture so you could take those weeks and weeks of preparation and come to associate that with a certain hand gesture. So when a stressful or just crisis moment hits, that hand mm. gesture activates all those memories of doing those practices over and over again and gives you access to that. Um, from a shamanic standpoint, it would also be helpful. And we talked about the drum earlier as being that echo to bring you back. You can ask a spiritual helper to hold sometimes excess energy for you. Like you, you can... It is strange, but in a shamanic standpoint, if you have spiritual allies, you can bank things for a mm -hmm. rainy day, right? So I'll use, uh, in my own case, an example. When I first started doing journey work, there was all of these, these you know, warnings about getting lost, not being able to find your way back and this and, that and the other thing. So I created a little bundle that represented me to myself, and I went in, in the edge of one of my, my stepdad's fields. There's this huge boulder. I used to go hang out there all the time. And just, it was right at the edge of the woods in the, in the field. And it was just one of my favorite spots. So I went and asked that boulder to hold that bundle for me and tucked it underneath it. And that way, should I ever get lost, I know where to go look for myself. Mm. Right? So there are ways shamanically and spiritually and energetically to to create a bug out bag uh, and bank energy for a crisis time when you need it later yeah that's neat that you have banking so we that would be second chakra practice part of it for us so yeah so i did the you know food clothing shelter sleep transportation tribe for the first chakra go through all of that and then i get to second chakra and it's where's the energy where's the flow Right. Mm -hmm. How do you sense. get it? How do you keep it? How do you maintain it? How do you nurture your relationship to that energy so that you have unlimited access? It's huge when if anybody's ever been through mourning, you it's it's quite shocking to realize not only are you sad and having the emotions of mourning, but it's physically. Mm like walking through molasses and it's not something you you don't even have to understand that you had that kind of relationship with someone or whatever it just right. happens to you mm -hmm. 
and that that practice of the energy um, if that's a part of your tradition I would highly recommend doing the preparation work for that um, because that can be the difference especially if you know that you tend to need to be able to maintain work be there for your children or do other things that require energy in right. your even if you are mourning. Well, for, for us, I mean, the, the, the boulder thing was way back when. So that was, that was UPG for me. But however, in like our Peruvian traditions, um, we have our mesa bundles. And those are extensions of ourselves to a large degree. And their whole purpose is to filter heavy energy into lighter energy. That's one of their main purposes. And so that is a, a battery and a backup bank for us in, in, in more ways than one. So what you're telling me is you guys carry your soul matrix around. Yeah, you know, when you <laughs> say it that way, yes, that's probably an accurate one because there's stones in there that represent powerful places we've interacted with, revelations in our life, ancestors. So, yeah, that, that's probably an accurate way of describing it. Yeah, whenever I've, I've had the occasion to sit down with you folks in your mesas, um, it's always kind of occurred to me that, you know, this is – you guys are literally burying your soul in a, in a very real sense. Um, and I think it's kind of funny how the rinse were like, yeah, we want to hang out with these guys too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Beth, it was hilarious. There's been times when we've gotten together and Sarah will have his runes with, and, and, and Caitlin and I have our Mesa and like, they all want to be put together in like one part of the room or on a table or something. And we literally get yelled at to just get out of the room and let them talk with each other. It's like what? the elders want to speak. We get kicked out. <laughs> But that's so fat. Okay, because you said like totally carrying your soul matrix, and you're talking about this, and this is it's so interesting. So in the Hebrew tradition in Kabbalah, they say you have to make your soul. Oh wow! Huh? huh. How about you, that? You aren't born with one. Hmm. You don't come here having a soul. Which is like really wild because everybody thinks like, oh, it's part of the Western tradition, blah, blah, blah. But they literally are spiritually constructing their souls mm -hmm. and wow. workers for how that happens. So I'm just like, oh, they do it like kind of esoterically, spiritually, right. and you're like physically representing that. Wow. I hadn't thought about it. Okay, there's the chills. All right. So there's there's actually a pretty there's cool. The there's a pretty cool uh, a throughput here. I'm I'm feeling. Um, so one of the, the the practices was that until the child uh, drew its first breath and was named, they weren't a member of the tribe. They were a non-person. They they did not have the connection to the tribe Samingya. They didn't have connection to the parents until the child had was sprinkled with water and had drawn, you know, had drawn his first breath sprinkled with water and had been given a name, non-entity. Hmm. Something. Yeah. So um, for us with the birth of our kids, we were damn good and sure really <laughs> post birth, like, okay, uh, we're bringing this kid in. And so we'd sprinkle them with water and we'd name them. Both of our kids went through this. And wow. that was part of why, because <laughs> this was saying to the spirits, this is ours, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Our yeah. poor daughter, Raven, she didn't have a name for like a week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's so fascinating. <laughs> and it's, it is fascinating because she's the one who named your store. That's true. That's true. But now I'm wondering, too, because I know you have all the different stones in your mesa. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, like, I know, I don't know what all the stones represent. And maybe they represent, like, you have different ones for different people. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But um, thinking about the ladder. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay. This is <laughs> Rabbit holes. <laughs> My brain just went. <laughs> Uh, she makes blow-ups. <laughs> so they have like the the tree of life in Kabbalah, right? You may have mm -hmm. seen it. The like um, the sephirot that are mm -hmm. like different parts. And the idea is that you actually go through the process of connecting to each of those parts of it to build the tree within yourself and, and gain your soul, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going, I wonder if the sephirot and the stones in the mesa. There, there's probably a few parallels, yeah. Mm -hmm. because Especially knowing some of the realms that I do, as I do from, from the cursory study of the tree of life. So yeah, there's, there's probably parallels. So on that tree, like it, it has the base and then it like makes a triangle and then it goes up and it has two outside columns and one central column, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look at each of the levels, there's seven of them and they actually match up to the seven chakras. Oh. Okay. So my brain is going, I with the stones to Kabbalah, and then if that also can help relate stones to chakra in the body for people who do yoga and, and practice the Peruvian tradition. It's just interesting, like, I know they're not, they're not equals, they're not equivalents, but well, there's like real spiritual mapping right. that has well, been- Well, and you've got, I mean, like, theoretically with the Mesa, and with some some traditions, you've got the seven directions too, right? You've got four cardinal directions above, below, and self. Mm -hmm. Seven keeps showing up as different realms as well. Yes. <laughs> I, I love like seeing how independently all of those things keep arising. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because then you know, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm in this culture's way of interpreting a real thing that exists. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, that draws some of that sense of grounding. Going back to the beginning, to the tree of life, back to that sense of where am I in the cosmos? Mm -hmm. And it's known. And it can, I can be from any of these entry points coming in. And it's just what it is. It's kind of incredible. It really mm -hmm. is. And working with people like I do where they're from different, I mean, the people I work with are from any different kind of tradition. I'm not mostly working with anybody who's from any one spiritual tradition. And I just get the chance to learn about it because I'm like, okay, where are we? You know? <laughs> like on the map. Um, but getting to see it get repeated and regular through there it's it's very um stabilizing yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like it works 
<laughs> All right, everybody. I hate to do this, but we're we're around the two hour mark or closing in on it. And I feel like if we're not careful, that just only becomes the halfway point. And I've actually got to go to bed at some point in time tonight. So I think we I need to at least start us wrapping it up a little bit. Beth, could you tell one of your one of my favorite things is your Instagram account because I love the very positive stuff that you post and the images and that sort of thing. Um, where can people find you online? It is at Coldwater Haven, all lowercase. And uh, yeah, you'll see a lot of little prompts and ideas to think about. And is that the best way for people to contact you if they want to work with you? Absolutely. And you can go through there and find links to what I'm currently offering. You can actually find the link in my bio on Instagram and go ahead and sign up. And um, I work with people at a distance as well as in, as in person. So um, if you know someone that needs to, to get a little bit of that support for grounding, it's a really easy way to go in through that link in the bio. And I'm also on Facebook at Coldwater Haven. So. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much for coming back. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun as, as it was last time as well. So we'll have to make sure we have you back again. We can just, <laughs> Oh man, if we ever all get together face to face in the same room, we're just going to record and play mm -hmm. that thing six to eight hours. I think so. I'll, br I'll bring the popcorn. <laughs> we will definitely need nourishment. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you everybody for listening and joining us tonight and we'll see you next time around the fire.
Bye.